0: Scripture from Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people." which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we come to the end of this epic of salvation history that we've been talking about for a while now. Looking at the big story of the Bible. Uh, we're going to have one more sermon sort of sort of debriefing this journey through salvation history, but but today we come to the end of the story. This is kind of a tricky Uh, place to be uh, because we're going to talk about uh, the how the story ends the book of revelation and uh, whenever we talk about revelation people have all kinds of preconceived notions i don't know if you've noticed this but it seems like people either only read revelation or never read revelation Um, there's not a lot in between with that book Uh, but but today what what i want to do is look at that totally differently And instead of looking at the book of Revelation and apocalyptic literature and how all these things work, what I want to do is take a look at the story we've been building, the story of the Old Testament, and how Jesus fulfilled those things, but but how also uh, it creates expectations for how the story is going uh, to end. And I think the book of Revelation itself actually demands that we look at it this way. Uh, The book of Revelation has 404 verses, And of those, at least 278 have some kind of reference or allusion to Old Testament scriptures. So it is just part of the book of Revelation to look back. And and if you think about any book you've read, you expect the last chapter to bring to a conclusion all the expectations, all the questions that the previous chapters have written. So let's, let's, let's forget all of our preconceived notions about Revelation and about the end of the story, and let's instead recap the whole story and set up the expectations that the last chapter has to fulfill. And to do that, I want to look at these six symbols. Now, I could have picked a lot of different symbols. These are just the six that I picked um, to try to, uh, to plot out. Um, what are the expectations for how this story has to end? Our first symbol is a tree, and it harkens us back to the Garden of Eden and the tree in the garden. There were two trees in the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God made the world, and he made it, though, incomplete. He made it good, he made it right, but he made it to be uh, worked on. And created Adam and Eve to to take care of creation and to build it and to till it and to to form it and to fill it that God had plans for creation in the garden around these trees, but of course, the tree also represents the fall. the fact that Adam and Eve took from the tree they weren't supposed to take from they directly disobeyed God, and because of that God's plans for the world and his plans for humanity were messed up and um uh, when will those be fulfilled? How will creation come under God again? Uh, will God's plans for the world be thwarted? And of course, sin and death enter the world through the garden, through the tree. Our next symbol is a bush. And I think of this uh, this person in the lineage of Abraham, this special family set to be a blessing named Moses, who's called by a burning bush that's not burning, uh, to lead the people out of, uh, out of Egypt and out of slavery and uh, creates these laws, these ways of actually working in this world. Not only does he bring them to freedom out of slavery, but he has to teach them how to live for freedom. Of course, what's the problem? The, the problem is people continually mess it up. Even Moses himself messes it up and so there is this expectation in the old testament that creation has to be made new but that freedom has to be given to all moses helps set up a tabernacle and the tabernacle ends up becoming our next symbol a temple a temple god creates a presence in the midst of his people Back in the garden, he used to walk around, talk to Adam and eve but but, in the temple, he has this established place. this is where God is, in the middle of his people. Of course, the problem with the temple was, even though God was present there, you didn't have full access to god you, you couldn't just and nobody could just walk into the innermost parts of the temple, only the priests could do that. And so there was this, this problem, this setup of, of, okay, God wants to be in our midst, but how is God going to, uh, to be in our midst freely where we have full access to God? Symbol number four is the altar. The altar that was outside of the temple where people would make sacrifices. The only way you could get to God was to make sacrifice. There had to be blood shed. You had to do uh, lots of different sacrifices to, uh, to, keep, um, to keep coming back to God, to keep making things right with God. And the question becomes, are we going to have to just always keep sacrificing all these animals, or will there someday be a sacrifice to end all sacrifices? Fifth symbol is the Bima. Hey, the the bema was a that's the Greek word, um, but there was in ancient communities a judgment seat. It was typically by the gate of a city, where the judge or the local ruler could go and could sit in the chair, and could pronounce judgments on different cases. And this becomes a, a big theme in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, as. Um, the judges are are people that that some of the judges actually do this rule over israel and the question becomes a question of righteousness okay that, that there's something wrong in this world okay that the judges are fighting against that the kings ends up fighting against that the prophets call for if god is truly god why is there so much wrong with this world and the expectation is someday God's got to do something to make all the wrongs right. Not just undoing creation, but undoing and the wrongs, making things just and right. And this this comes up again in the, the prophets after the exile, as they end up having uh, to, to look at what, what made us go into exile. Why, if we were God's chosen people, did, did we lose favor with God the way we did? Well... There's a judgment to be made for how we treat other people. And the last symbol is a symbol of a crown. A kingship symbol. Especially through the the kingship of King David. There's this expectation that God is king and that God is ruling uh, or should be ruling in this world. There's a promise made to King David that someone would come from the line and lineage of David that would rule this world forever. There's, there's a, uh, an understanding that we should all be under the rule of God as king, and yet it's messed up. So whatever God's going to do, he's got to bring a, a, a everyone under his authority, under his kingship. This is the Old Testament, right? And when Jesus comes, he actually comes and fulfills so many of these symbols and expectations. Okay, Think about it this way. Think about Jesus' relationship with creation. Storms obey him. Fish and loaves multiply for him. <laughs> okay? He has rule over creation. Fish pile into nets when he says so. With around Jesus, creation works well, and he loved creation. He liked to spend time on the water. He loved to spend time in gardens. In fact, towards the, right at the end of his life, of his earthly life, he goes to a garden to pray. Before he's killed where? On a tree. On a cross. And then he's buried. And where is he buried? Not just in any tomb. He's buried in a tomb in a garden. He's buried in a garden tomb and he's resurrected in a garden tomb. There's so much imagery going on that says Jesus is redoing creation. He's redoing, reinstituting the garden, God's original plans for this world. What about freedom? Well, Jesus doesn't relate to bushes necessarily, a fig tree, maybe uh, a mustard plant. Um, But this theme of freedom is really a big deal for Jesus. Think about the woman caught in adultery that Jesus forgives. Think about those who are blind that he frees. Think about those who are lame, those who are lepers that he cleanses. He seems to be one who cares very much for freedom. Not just just for being free, but learning how to live out of that freedom. Uh, He dies on the cross to give freedom. What about God's presence? Well, Jesus has a special relationship with the temple. He goes there when he's a baby. He goes there when he's 12 and teaches in the temple. And then he even says at one point, tear down this temple and it will be rebuilt in three days. Of course, he's not talking about this temple. He's talking about himself being the temple. In the beginning of uh, the Gospel of John, it says uh, that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. That word dwell is the Greek word that's used for tabernacle. The word is that he tabernacled among us. In so many ways, Jesus is God's presence among us. Come to creation. Come to be in the midst of us. And what about the altar? The sacrifice? He he was the sacrifice. He was the one who died, who gave of himself. He was the lamb. And at the time he was sacrificed, the Passover lamb was probably being sacrificed in the temple. He made that sacrifice. The, the suffering that the Messiah was going to have to do, that Isaiah prophesied, Jesus did it. What about the Bema? Well, Jesus does actually a lot of judging in his ministry, but his judge is all grace. He says, go and sin no more. He forgives sins. But that's a pretty amazing uh, concept to think that Jesus forgives sin. In fact, it's one of the things the Pharisees hated the most about the ministry of Jesus. And what about the kingship of Jesus? Well, he wasn't treated as an earthly king, but, but he, he, he was sort of pronounced king on Palm Sunday, and he died with what? A crown of thorns on his head and died with a sign above his head that says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And when he ascended to heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits as King. So you can see how Jesus fulfills these things, these expectations that are set up from the Old Testament. But here's where it gets interesting. Though Jesus fulfills these things, there are, there is, in a sense, ways that Jesus didn't fulfill these things. I mean, if Jesus really redid creation, wh- why is there a global pandemic going on? Why is the world not as it should be? Why isn't there freedom? Why do I feel still stuck in my own sin, like a slave to the wrongs that I have done to my past? Why why is there still people who who don't have freedom? I mean, it's great that the Holy Spirit is with us, that we are the temple now and God is present with us, but I don't always feel that. I don't always feel that the, the Holy Spirit is close. Yes, Jesus made the sacrifice, but if, if my sin is paid for, why do I still do it? Why is it still all over the place? If Jesus is really judging the wrong, then why is there still wrong? Why is there still things in my life that need to be fixed, that I regret? That aren't whole. If Jesus is really king, how come not everybody bows to him? How come I don't always bow to him? And I do so much of my own thing. See, the church is talking about this as now and not yet. There are ways in which the kingship of Jesus, all his fulfillment of this stuff is now and yet, not yet, not yet totally done. And so the expectation, even in the New Testament, is that there is going to come a day when this will all be made right, where the victory that's won by Jesus will actually be captured. It's like we already know the end of the story. We're just letting time run out. And and, and if you read the book of Revelation this way, as sort of the capstone of the story, you see some really interesting things. Well, how is this new world um, made well, the, the the book of Revelation says that God would make all things new. Notice, it doesn't say he would make all new things. He would make all things new. So everything in this world is, is going to still be in this world. It's just going to be made new. And that word new, there, there's two words in Greek for new. Neos, which is like brand new, like buying a new car. But then there's kainos, and kainos is... Is like restored newness, renewed. Not buying a new car, but actually restoring a classic car, and and that's the word Revelation uses. That creation will be made new, and and if you read the text, what you find is right at the end of uh, right in Revelation, the world is a city, and in the middle of the city is what, a garden, and in the middle of the garden is, a tree. And, and and if you follow the story, then people who are, are here are free. Free from their sin. Free from their past. This sense of freedom goes on, and we are totally free. From there, no sin, no tears, no crying. And God's presence is now with his people, the way he always intended it to be. And the sacrifice that's been made in the book of Revelation actually... It's the lamb. Jesus is referred to constantly as the lamb, the lamb of God. Um, And and even in his kingship, even though a lamb with a crown, he is still a lamb, remembering that all of this was made for by a sacrifice. And in the end, there's judgment. God does bring judgment judgment and the lamb comes and, and the it's in when jesus comes in revelation it's amazing he's dressed in white going to battle you got to be real confident to go to battle dressed in white like you're pretty sure how this is going to end in fact there's no fight there is just victory jesus has already won the victory and and jesus comes in all his glory to have his crown upon his head See, if you if you look at Revelation this way, it is one big completion to this ongoing story. It, it's the fulfillment of everything that Jesus did, but still has left undone. And we live between. We li- live in the middle. We live between the tree in the garden and the tree of the cross and the tree of the kingdom yet to come. And what that means is our lives should revolve around this story. It means I'm not just punching my ticket to go to heaven someday. I am doing work in a world that Jesus is coming to be made new. I'm getting this work started as I care for people, as I represent God's presence in this world. This is my story. A story that's written now, but still has some more to come. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the answer to all of these hopes. Help us to live as if it's really true. Help us to live out the completion of all of this work now, even as we're expecting it to be delivered someday. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So more than anything, as we think about this story and how it all connects. I hope that the word you come to is hope. Hope. You can have hope believing in victory. You can have hope believing that Christ is going to make all things new. That's even you. You're going to be new. And all the wounds of your past, all the problems of your life are somehow going to be made glorious and beautiful that's hope. That's real hope that you should have in this world as, as you're quarantining, as you're struggling, as you're waiting on a doctor's report, as you're worried for your kids or your grandkids. I mean, wh- whatever you're going on, we cling to this hope that the struggles of this world are not forever, that it's been fixed and someday will be totally fixed. We live in that tension of now and not yet, but my encouragement to you is to have